Hey guys, it's your girl Jodi Ann, also known as I Go By Joe, and this is The E Project. Let's start the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. It's your host, Jodi Ann, of course, and I'm here with another amazing entrepreneur. Her name is Ashley Noel. She's the CEO and founder of Philosophy Yoga. Welcome, Ashley. Yay, we did it. We did it. We that made was time. Like my third intro, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Ashley and I have been trying to schedule this podcast for I mean under a year yeah we've actually scheduled it three times or twice yep and just had to reschedule but everything happens for a reason and we're finally here we're finally here so welcome thank you I'm so happy I actually met Ashley early early this year at an event she was actually on a panel at Ollie one of Ollie Quinn's events and it was um, they're partnered with Local Talks and so you were on the panel and you were also with I believe uh, they're called Cotton Cotton yeah and two other um, amazing people as well losing their names right now but yeah no you were speaking and I really just was drawn to Ashley and just her honesty and transparency just talking about her journey, what she's been through, and just entrepreneurship as a whole, and also diversity. That's the one thing that really stuck out to me is that how open and honest you are talking about diversity and the lack of diversity, whether it be within in Toronto in certain industries. But I really was drawn to that, and I was like, I need to learn more about this girl. I want to know more, and it just it made me feel comfortable to talk to you about when it comes to diversity as a black woman and as a white woman as yourself. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's really cool. So welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And I, I do remember that event being asked to speak on that event and there were three panelists. It was like Cotton and then a photographer who's now a friend of mine, Lauren Miller, and then myself. And then the first thing, the first thing I noticed, I was like, why are all of us, the topic was like the future of business in 2018, mm-hmm. I think was the topic. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, why are all of us white? Because that's not the future of business to me. That's like the status quo that's happening right now. And I just remember being like, okay, am I going to not do this panel because of this reason? Or am I going to say something about it during the panel mm. to call it out in a way? And I, I obviously must have just called it out because I did the panel. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that was such a big conversation. I was at the beginning of 2018 and still even now in that work, which is sometimes really uncomfortable of just trying to be like, okay, I have a platform And that's a huge privilege of my platform, but I need to use it for something Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what it is that I can use it for that goes way beyond what it looks like from the outside, which right now is just like yoga and being very hyper aware of the privilege that I have and not getting stuck in that and actually using it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate anyone that's open to conversation when it comes to diversity because it can be, I mean, a hot mess and it can also Mm -hmm. be amazing and be a wonderful conversation depending on how open the other person is to having that conversation so I really appreciate when I meet people like you that are so open and honest and just even like again open to learning and sharing your experiences and what you kind of grew up with and now maybe um, learning new things that you didn't realize were this or that you know what I mean yeah so again thank you thank you so I first want to start off this conversation with learning a bit more about who Ashley is, your background of how you got into yoga um, and how that sort of incorporates with touch because touch is a huge part of your teachings. Mm -hmm. So please let us know how this all started with your business, with philosophy yoga. Yeah. So I started yoga when I was like 16, just as a form of fitness, really. I used to be a dancer. I got injured. I found yoga. It was an easy way to, it was hot yoga. So it was like, I'm sweating. Like I was 16 years old, struggling with like basic things that I think a lot of teenagers go through, but body image issues. Mm. And so for me, yoga was a way that I could like sweat everything out. And I didn't, I honestly didn't think anything else of it. I had no idea really what it was. It was just a form of exercise for me. And I just kept going back because it felt good at the end. And it was, I was like 20 and I just decided to become 
a yoga instructor, like a fun side job. We were talking about this earlier. I just get ideas in my head and I can never figure out where they come from. But it's just like, you must do this. And then I do it. So I became a yoga instructor and just started to teach on the side while going to university. And something that was really powerful for me was I was in a class when I was like 22 and the yoga instructor came over and just touched the back of my neck in like pigeon pose. Mm -hmm. And I started to cry because I realized that it had been so long since I had been touched by another person. Mm -hmm. I moved out when I was 17. I lived like alone or I lived in residence at like the university. I was single. I traveled a lot. So I never got touched like ever. And I wasn't really made aware of that until that moment Mm. where I was like, oh my gosh, it's been forever since someone has touched me and then also touched me in a non-sexual way. Mm. Because I think that if I was craving touch or more so craving connection, I would seek it through these like sexual relationships Mm -hmm. because that was how you're taught in a way. When you're younger, a lot of us get touched as children, and it's acceptable to get touched as a child, like in most ways if it's not abused. So you can hug a child, you're really close to them, and then you become a teenager and you start to pull away from touch from those safe figures, if they are safe, so like your parents. You Mm -hmm. might pull away from them, and then you're a teenager, and how are you getting touched? Usually it's from those like weird, awkward exploring your sexuality that's where you find touch Mm. and then you become an adult and again it's like okay where am I getting touch from Mm. what's socially acceptable for me to receive human connection and touch and sex is just one of them that we get touch and usually the one that's mostly highlighted but if you're not having that if you're not like engaging in romantic or sexual relationships and you don't have safe supportive touch through friends or family then you're lacking this touch piece. And so for me, yoga was just a way that I could then introduce touch in Mm. a safe way. Okay. So my work now is to really rewrite our conversation around what is touch and what is safe touch because I don't think we were taught how to give safe touch, but I also don't think we were taught how to receive it as well. So it's like a two-way street. So... I can be really confident in being like, hey, Jodianne, I want to let you know that like you're loved, you're seen, so I'm going to give you a hug or I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder or whatever it might be. But if you were never taught how to receive safe touch, mm-hmm. you might interpret that as me wanting something from you. Or so like there's there's two ways of me trying to shift the conversation around touch. Mm-hmm. I happen to do it through yoga right now, but I think the conversation is so much bigger than yoga. But yoga is just what I know, so mm. I do it through yoga. Wow. <laughs> no, that's amazing. So much. Yeah, no, honestly, thank you for sharing that. So what about touch intrigues you? Like, what about it just gets you so... Because you seem very passionate when you talk about touch. And you mentioned so many things about, like, how when we're young, um, where we've we're naturally taught to accept touch, obviously in a positive way with children. And when you get to being a teenager, it's like we kind of push back from that. So what about touch do you love? And why do you think we we push back from touch when we get older, like as a teenager, for example? Yeah, I think since being so passionate about passionate about touch lately I've been wanting to get more people's experience around touch because I only come from my lens of touch which the more I share my story the more I do realize that it can be similar for a lot of people Mm -hmm. but also when it comes to touch touch can be so layered so a friend of mine who works with me now um, she her relationship to touch especially was as a child was twofold and the fact that touch from her parents was both from a loving way but also in a way abuse because that's how she was almost like punished Mm. was there was a lot of like spanking and hitting involved but at the same time her parents also gave her love so she has a very interesting relationship to touch from both ends and what I really like about her is she speaks from it on both sides as well being like you have these people in your life who love you and they're using touch in both ways Mm. and so her navigation with touch has been so different. Her journey with touch has been so different. But she's at a place now 
she has sons and she's a big advocate for touch with them and mm-hmm. teaches a lot to the athletic community, especially male athletes of like, how can you receive touch from a woman and not infer it as sexual, but it's to support you in your body's, I guess, like recovery or mm. to allow you to know, to give you touch. Um, a big thing of what I believe in is like when we touch someone, it's not to fix or correct or change them because I don't know what your body has been through by looking at you. That's not my job or my right to know that either. So when I use touch, it's just to give you a new experience of being in your body. And my hope is that it's it's safe. So like for me, when I was 23, I was assaulted or sexually assaulted. And so touch was used to strip away, like touch was used to like take away my power or like my sense of worth I felt. And without even realizing it, I pulled away from touch so much because I was afraid of it because I didn't trust touch. And so I needed to know, though, that touch could be safe. And so I slowly started to seek out ways that I thought touch was safe. And for me, it was yoga or paying for a massage. But for other people, it's going to look really different, Mm -hmm. like what safe touch is for them. Maybe it is a parent, but maybe it's not. Maybe it is your uh, partner. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is your yoga teacher. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. not. But I think what intrigues me so much about touch and the touch conversation is that it's not really had. But touch is the only one of our five senses that you can't live without. So if you are blind or deaf or lose your sense of smell or lose your sense of taste, like you are okay. It won't shift the chemicals in your body too much. Mm -hmm. But if you remove someone's ability to be touched and to experience touch, it actually shifts the chemicals in their body. Mm. So you think about like solitary confinement, why it's one of the most, it's the worst punishment I think to be given to someone is because you're removing that person's ability to feel connection to other humans. And it's called skin hunger. Like the phenomenon is called skin hunger that just people like you and I or people just walking down the streets of Toronto, a lot of us are suffering from this skin hunger, this desire to be touched. But for a lot of us, touch might not be safe. It could be linked to trauma. And the conversation with touch and trauma is to avoid Mm. because you don't want to Mm re-trigger. And so how do we rewrite that narrative but also give space for people's experiences? Mm. So that's why I'm so passionate because it's so different person to person. But I think the only way to get to that place is to have this conversation person to person. Wow. I'd never really thought about it like that before. You really broke that down. Because especially when it comes to someone... Oh, and again, thank you for sharing what happened to you. I'm so sorry about that. Because going through that experience, I never thought about the psychological things that may happen to someone in terms of touch, even subconsciously. Like, just not wanting to be touched at all or even maybe going through PTSD from that experience. Um, I've had the similar experience as well, so I I can relate to what you're saying. And for me, I subconsciously never realized that oh, like, I don't like being touched because of that experience. So how can someone almost rewire their thought process or their brain or whatever to getting back into being okay with touch? I feel like you kind of touched on that, but I just want a little bit more explanation on, like, how that could, what that looks like for someone getting back into being okay with touch. Yeah. I'll speak only from, I guess, my experience or people I've worked with who've shared with me. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's, like, fields of research on this that Mm -hmm. I'm not knowledgeable in yet. But from the people that I've worked with and for myself, you have to first understand, like, your body holds on to trauma or history. Mm -hmm. I had a teacher once who told me, if your brain can no longer process it, it just moves it into your body. So if I no longer have the capacity for my brain to process and figure out what happened to me, it's just going to move into my body. Mm. And so for me, what happened after my assault is I couldn't quite make sense of it. Like to me, it didn't make sense. It was like, you shouldn't have been in that situation. I think with the Me Too movement, all the things that were coming out of you feel shame around it. Mm. And for me, I just ignored it. I just Mm. for me, it was easier to pretend it never happened than to actually sit and process through it and what happened is it just moved into my body without me really noticing 
And so when I would get into situations with um, partners that it was starting to get intimate through touch, I would start to physically like shake. I would have a reaction. Okay. But my brain didn't know what was going on. And I remember one partner being like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, okay, first of all, something's wrong with me. So that's the first time I realized that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing was like, I had no idea. My brain just like had no more capacity for me to realize that that bodily reaction was linked to my trauma. So I had to really do a lot of like self work around it and a lot of journaling. And so for a lot of people, it's mostly women who have come to my classes who say, I'm in a new relationship and in my previous relationship, like I touch was used in an abusive way and I'm having a really hard time connecting to my partner. Mm -hmm. And so for them, the first thing is like, you just have to make the link. So for a lot of people, it's like, okay, what is my relationship to touch? And just almost if you feel like it's a safe environment to do so, start to explore that. So for me, like journaling. So you can look at, okay, what was my relationship with touch with my parents, with my friends, with early boyfriends, with current partners, with and just start to like see if you can find a link. Okay. If you feel like it will bring up too much trauma, I always say like do that work with a professional Mm. because sometimes depending on what has happened, it's going to bring up a lot for you. So just make sure that whenever you start to do this type of work, you feel supported But it's just making that link and then slowly starting to add back, okay, when do I feel safe with touch? Mm -hmm. Some people it might be if you, like, go to the hair salon and you get, like, sometimes they do, like, the shampoo wash. For some people, oh, that might be nice. Maybe it's a massage. Maybe it's just, Mm -hmm. like, your mom. Maybe it's, like, when someone you love, like, holds your hand Mm -hmm. and just finding things that make you feel safe around touch Mm -hmm. and then slowly building Mm. Not like rushing into it, okay. but just like noticing. My friend, she made the link that she's really ticklish. So she'll come to my classes a lot and she's really ticklish. Like the first thing she does is she jumps when someone comes in to touch. Okay. And she was like, that's so weird. I, that's always happened. But now I'm starting to look back. And for her, it's like the unexpectedness of touch. Okay. And her body reacts to that. So we just work of like, she has to really know that I'm approaching her and that's really helped her move just putting her at ease yeah okay so so you mentioned um your friend or the woman that you knew that had that positive and negative experience with touch meaning being spanked as a child or hit or but still have having love at the same time loving parents I never thought about that in terms of as an adult, and I'm going to say as a woman too, not to single out the men, but as a woman, how that can have a negative psychological effect on you as well, thinking and being in a relationship that if he hits me, it's okay because he loves me. Not realizing subconsciously, like when you are young, if say you, your parents, you that was like your discipline, like that's how they show their love is they hit you. And sometimes it goes too far, but nonetheless they hit you but then on the flip side they love you and they're you know they're your parents they're raising you so how does a woman now or a man mm-hmm. as an adult that's in a domestic relationship distinguish the difference between love and i mean abuse because i feel like that's kind of and it can be tricky like it seems very obvious to anybody but when you really look at it someone that's someone that's in an abusive relationship, they genuinely feel like they are being loved. Like, this person loves me so much that they're disciplining me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an area that I'm just starting to um, explore and get more information with. Yeah. I'm working with an organization with women who um, have been in, like, abusive relationships before, and mm-hmm. we're just starting to introduce yoga, and then we're also going to slowly introduce touch. Okay. And so right now I'm not actually too sure okay. for them, but I can totally, like, you make that link. I can see how um, I've had friends in the past who, like, won't leave an abusive relationship because they're still believing that they are loved because it's still a form of contact and connection Mm -hmm. and based on their past and their history they might make that link as being loved Mm. for me too like not on this not on that like level but for me women too being in let's say like sexual relationships Mm -hmm. like I'll be the first to say like I like a good hit like I'm I'm like spank me you know (laughs) like 
here it comes out. I'm like, my mom's going to listen to this podcast and be like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> you just told people you like to be spanked. Um, so, but I think the whole conversation around touch is like, are, am I giving you my consent? Is it something that I'm comfortable with? And do I know my own body enough to ask for what I need? And I think a lot of us sometimes don't give ourselves space and permission to to explore that. Mm. So to explore, like, what do I enjoy both in, like, yeah, in, like, a sexual partnership, but also just in myself. Like, I work with this woman named Luna, and she'll just get us to just, like, use our fingertips to slowly draw, like, up our arm mm-hmm. and be like, how does that feel to you? And then do a little mm. bit more pressure. And it's it's not sexual me just, like, touching my own arm, mm-hmm. but it starts to make you really aware of the way touch feels in your body. Okay. So that you can just get better at, like, asking mm. and, like, consent. Because okay. so if I'm saying, hit me in that moment. Yeah. Or hit me so aggressive. Yeah. Like, just, like, you know, get a little, <laughs> like, they're going to edit this out. Yeah. <laughs> you might leave it. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, if it's with someone that I trust, that type of touch is still safe. Mm, okay. But it's because I've I've asked for it. Yes. So getting to that point. I don't even know if that makes sense. No, no, it makes sense. And having the open, honest conversation um, and just making sure that that conversation is had and you know every step of the way of, you know, what's happening. Yeah. So Instagram is a platform that, I mean, I love to hate. It's another relationship (laughs) that can be abusive at times. Yeah. But it's one of those platforms where... Every, it kind of almost, quote unquote, allows everyone to be anything and everything and to be an expert, to be a quote unquote influencer, to be just label themselves, give them giving themselves titles. So being in the wellness field and being a yoga instructor and specializing in touch, does it ever frustrate you when you see people online without even the proper certifications claiming that they're as like they're this or that in the wellness world because I feel like it's so easy on Instagram to say I'm a wellness coach everyone's a coach now or I'm a a wellness um, expert or I'm a yoga instructor because I feel like it's it's a very dangerous thing to do for people that you can just google a few things and get some knowledge and you can kind of get yourself by but just you know bsing your way through conversation say to make yourself look like an expert um but does that ever frustrate you because i i that's happened to me where i thought someone was what they said they were and really they had no certifications it was just they were amazing googlers yeah so how does like how does that affect you now having been someone that's gone through all of the right, the right tools to become who you are? Um, how does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, it's it's twofold. It, it, it's still like a love hate at the same time because there's yeah. a part of me that's like that's amazing. There's so many people out there who want to help other people. Yeah, there's an also thing part of it that's like as um, a yoga instructor or if you call yourself a healer or you're a wellness coach. If you're not properly trained or and if you're coming at it from a place that's saying you know all, which you don't, you have the ability to open people up, but you don't actually have the tools to help them put themselves back together. Mm. And that's where it's really dangerous and really frustrating. So I taught yoga since I was 20. And what I started to notice a trend in was that like the yoga teacher was now seen seen as sometimes like we had the answers for you. Yeah. Which we don't. Like, first of all, I was always like, there's no way I have the answers. I'm in my 20s. Like, I have no life experience. And the life experience I have is so small. Mm -hmm. But I would find some people just wouldn't own up to that. Mm. They would be like, oh, because I've studied under blah, blah, blah. I have so much knowledge. And I found that it was getting really dangerous. Like, we would host retreats and people would open themselves up and share all this information and then you wouldn't know how to give them the proper tools for them to be supported out of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm currently in school to become like a counseling psychologist so mm-hmm. that I actually have these tools. Amazing. So that I can yeah. support people, especially now when it comes to touch. I approach it from a very limited, even though I've worked so much with touch and I've slowly start to gather people's like experience and stories and I hear it and I love to have conversations around it Mm -hmm. I still like to say to people I'm not an expert in this I might help you make the link to this 
And then if you do, like here are resources of, again, find a therapist, find a somatic body coach to -hmm. help you through this. Don't rely on like one person. Mm -hmm. But what I do think on Instagram is no one's being transparent about that. Just be honest because, like, I'm super passionate about touch and mm-hmm. I'm very honest. I'm like, I love it. I want to have conversations around that. I also know that I don't know anything or everything. I only know what I know. So I'm not I'm not an expert in it, but I am passionate about it and will mm-hmm. hold the space for those conversations. And if I find that it goes further than my expertise, I'm always the first one to say, mm. I, no, like, I this is beyond my scope of what I know. And let's try to find someone who can help you I like that I like when someone is open and honest about not having all the knowledge even if it's in the field that they're in and I think that's what makes an quote-unquote an expert rather than like a beginner or someone that's pretending I feel like even as an expert you're still open to learning you're still open to growth you're always learning every single day and I think that shows in you and what you do so I really appreciate that thank you (laughs) so You've been in the wellness world for how long now? Like eight years? Eight years. Yeah. So in the eight years you've been, um, and I'm kind of diving into now our other topic, which is diversity. So in the eight years that you have been in the wellness world, how diverse have you found it? (laughs) None. I think, to be quite honest, in the first, let's say, five or six years, mm-hmm. that wasn't even something that was discussed or even was in the radar or sphere of my existence. Mm-hmm. It was just not a conversation. I remember my friend Anita, she last year was like, she came out, I wonder if she was on a podcast or her blog, and she just said, I'm finally coming to terms or I'm just realizing that I am a woman of color. Like she, she's in wellness. She's in wellness okay. as well. She's a yoga instructor. Okay, and she lives in Vancouver. And she was like, "I'm coming to terms that like I am a woman of color because she just grew up in such like a white community." Okay, um, and had a po- I'm assuming a positive experience because not realizing she's a woman of color and it, obviously she knows she is, yeah. but now it's like I know I am. Like it was like really brought into awareness, and then okay. she looked back into her past and realized like how effed up I don't know if I can swear on this how messed up it was Mm -hmm. and it was like right when she said that to me I was like okay I also have been so privileged like you know the main thing they say is like you're privileged if you haven't even had to think about it yes and I was like okay I'm so privileged because I haven't even had to think about this Mm -hmm. until I guess it would have been like two and a half years ago okay you just never had to think about it because it was like you wasn't your problem in a sense it was like you didn't get to go through it. Yeah. You just like showed up and you taught what you were learned to teach, which mm-hmm. again comes from this like very masculine like lineage of yoga. Yoga, again, if you look at the, if you really look into yoga, especially yoga in the Western world, mm-hmm. a lot of the people who have developed yoga styles are all like men. Mm-hmm. A lot of the yoga. I don't want to say, like, gurus, but maybe that's what they're called, or really big, like, yoga teachers on the scene, Mm -hmm. like, yoga has a scene, um, are, like, white men. They have, like, a very big following. Okay. And it's very rare that you find a woman in the, like, top upper level of the yoga world. Interesting. It's very rare, which is interesting because a lot of people, like, funding and going to yoga are women. But again, a lot of these people are like white women. Yeah, that's and even where yoga derives derived from, it wasn't from white men. No. So that's very interesting that white men are the top of when it comes to yoga. And white and women are like, save me, help me, or whatever. There's a <laughs> yeah. severe dynamic. And so first it was like, okay, I had to become aware of it. And then you realize how much you've been taught or ingrained in like, what is my language? And like our, a lot of time, like the language in yoga... I was like, I'm not creating a safe space for all people to show up or Mm. the way that your yoga studio, like, where's the studio location? Like, is it actually easy for people to access and to get to? For a lot of people, it's not. Is a $20, $25, $30 drop in able to, like, give access to a lot of people for yoga? No. So you almost are, like, pigeonholing yourself or making it. You're making it very hard for yoga to actually be accessible. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was like two, two and a half years ago that I was like, there is very little 
diversity in yoga. Mm-hmm. Or even just wellness as a whole. Or wellness as in, a whole. In terms of... Um, in, in the media as a, as a whole, like th- there is a lot of people of color that are in the wellness field, like yeah. a lot and like experts, but they don't get the exposure as much as these other brands or other organizations do, which blows my mind. And yeah, it's and frustrating when they get the exposure. What I've realized is then that brand is like um, tokenizing them for that. So the same friend, Anita. Yes, I'm like calling her out, but I think she'll be fine with this. (laughs) She did a video for this company who was trying to be like, we're diverse, but she they made her take on the like small Asian girl role. Mm -hmm. And her part of the video was to just do like the little like hee hee laugh. Mm -hmm. And she was like, that's not who I am. Like she's a very strong, powerful like woman. And I would never look at her and think like that's what encompasses her but yeah. that was like they're like oh this is your role in this video do mm. this so even when she is casted or sometimes like the company wants to come off as being more diverse in a way I think sometimes they're tokenizing it as well yeah I think even and if you knew about oh you must I'm sure you've heard about the whole blow up with Revolve Mm-mm-mm. Revolve. So Revolve is a brand. It's like, I don't even know how to describe their brand really, but which is probably bad. But they had this trip that they do with bloggers every so often. And people like social media went off on them because they had maybe, I mean, a couple Asian girls, but majority of them were all white women. Not one person of color, like a like black woman, Indian, whatever, not one person of color was really in was a part of that and people were so upset because they're like it's it's something that happens a lot with them but I think we've gotten to the point where we're just over it we're just upset and we're just like you know what we clearly have to do it ourselves because it's not happening and it's not it's just these brands just aren't getting it slowly they will you'll see like you know one two where they'll they'll pick someone like your friend like they'll put someone in there just for the sake of saying they had one out of like a hundred which is crazy to me and even goes to when we when i how i first met you like even for you to have the thought of the panel and how the panel wasn't even really diverse so i think that's something that we're it's just being spoken about more and I, I definitely appreciate that but it's definitely something that needs to be changed so even for you now learning more about or even being open to learning more about diversity what are the other things that you've learned and some experiences that you've had that you realize wow like I actually am privileged and I didn't even realize it oh yeah <laughs> well we do this thing we did it in my last teacher training we call it the privilege line. Mm-hmm. And so you can either you can either think about like yourself or think mm-hmm. about someone you know. Okay. And then you start at the back and it's like take a step forward if your parents are still together. Take a step forward if you had access to university. Take a step forward if you, you know, have minimal student debt or no debt. Take a step forward if you have access to healthy food. Take a step forward. And so you're either taking a step forward or you're staying where you're at and then we say go. And the finish line is at the end and you notice like where everyone's starting points are. Yeah. And I think that doing that exercise, I'm always like, there's so many people in my community that are at the front. Mm -hmm. And what they're not realizing is that they can turn around and put out their hand and bring people up. But we never do that. Wow. And I think the biggest thing I'm learning and I'm still learning and is that because of the way I look because I'm like a cisgendered white woman I have created sometimes safe spaces for people but mostly that's people who look like me mm-hmm. but because of the way I look too I've created unsafe spaces for people mm. what and do you mean by that like one woman call, said to me because sometimes we do like check-in questions mm-hmm. so in yoga I'll say go around say your name and then share this or in the wellness world, there's there's a lot of sharing that happens. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like group sharing, almost like group therapy, I find. Mm-hmm. But when you have, let's say, I'll just use myself as an example. So if you have me as an example, like a privileged white woman who's saying to a room full of people and say there is um, people of color in there and I'm saying something like, tell me a time that you felt shame or tell me a time that you've, whatever the question might be. Mm-hmm. Chances are, when I share my story, there's people in the room that have also felt that. 
Mm. So we can identify with one another. Mm -hmm. And it was my friend. And she was like, you have to be very careful because a lot of times when people of color share, women of color share, your experience is your experience. And I have no idea what that is. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of wellness leaders will do is they then get defensive. So like you could share something Mm -hmm. and I could be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's awful. How awful am I that that happened? And now the attention again is like back on me. The white woman. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, no, no, no. That makes no. That makes sense. There's like yeah. I can't remember. There's a word for what happens, but like, say I did something to you to make you feel unsafe or unseen or unsupportive, and mm-hmm. you had the insane, like the courage and the bravery to s- call me out on it. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times, white women, we get defensive, and then we okay. take the attention again back on us. And my friend, she said the best example is like. If I stepped on your foot, I would just say, oh, shit, I'm sorry. I stepped on your foot. How can I make it better? Yes. But I wouldn't say, oh, oh, like, I didn't mean to step on your foot. The reason I stepped on your foot is because, like, my mom gave me these shoes. It's not my fault that, like, my mom gave me these shoes. I was, like, born with this. But my foot, you know, it just happened to get out. And, like, oh, I'm such a horrible person. I'm so sorry. Oh, and then, like, I wouldn't do that. And we do that a lot of times in these diversity conversations is Mm. if – we just need to apologize and understand, like, I was born a white woman, and but I've probably done things without even realizing to make people feel, again, unsafe, unsupportive. Mm-hmm. And when someone points that out to me, apologize. And then what can I do so that doesn't happen again? Mm-hmm. So how did you get to this? Like, how did you get to this understanding? Like, it was, it was this, like, you're just your parents kind of taught you this way, you've always been like this, or was it something you kind of discovered through just growing up and exploring the world? No, my parents, I grew up in Calgary, which is like suburbville, like forever. So I think it was just the last, again, yeah, the last two years, there's people on Instagram who are vocal about it. There's, um, her name is I am Rachel Ricketts. She lives in Vancouver or no, she moved. She does like spiritual activism and she's a big, she's a woman who talks openly about it. And she was one of the people who helps me. She's the one who gave me that like step on foot analogy. And so I think I'm still, even like in this podcast, I'll have like vulnerability hangover where I'm like, I didn't say the right thing. I probably still Mm -hmm. sounded like I don't know enough. But I also think that like that needs to happen. Like Mm -hmm. I need to have these conversations that are uncomfortable where people might call me out and say like, you actually shouldn't have said that. And then I'll say, okay, thank you. And how can I learn from that? I mean, Ashley, you're, that's pretty freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) No, because seriously, not, not a lot of people, I should say a lot, but not everyone is that open to one learning and then two, really taking it in and three, implementing it into their own lives. It's one thing to just like when you go to a networking event, you go, you meet people, some half the time you don't even call those people back. So it's kind of like the same thing. You just you're taking all, in all this information, but it can just so easily just drift off and just be like, oh, whatever, I'm going to live my regular life like I was before. But you're so open to just really taking it in and understanding, which I think a lot of people are like, I don't know if they're afraid to understand because maybe friends that they have, they know, oh, my friends make these jokes. I know they're wrong, but I'm still friends with them. Like, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's really having those open and honest conversations with yourself. And I really commend you for for being so open. Because, yeah. I mean, these conversations, like we said in the car, can be either like brutal um, or amazing. And you get to have a whole new perspective and understanding and how a whole other um, person sees things. Like you're seeing the lives through their eyes and you're being open to understand and understanding that. So that's huge. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's huge. I think there's like a, what's the word? Like sometimes you're a hypocrite. I think a lot of people, especially in the wellness industry, Mm -hmm. we get on our soapbox and we're like, we stand for like connection and vulnerability and all these buzzwords of like love and blah, blah, blah. But we're not actually willing. We're only willing to do that if it's like easy and if we already know it. So it's really Mm. easy for me to like connect to other people who look like me. It's Mm -hmm. so easy. But if I'm actually a stand for connection, it has to be for everyone, even if it's uncomfortable. And Rachel says like, if you're actually like a stand for something, 
how much are you willing to lose to be that stand? Are you willing to lose followers to call someone out who says like a racist remark? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to lose partnerships and collaborations with businesses who aren't aligned with you? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people were not aren't willing to lose anything. Mm -hmm. So they're just maintaining they're maintaining the like awful yeah, status quo. Yeah, or their ignorance too. Yeah, ignorant, yeah. yeah. Or I'm trying to think. I like metaphors sometimes, but sometimes like if you think of that privilege walk or privilege line, mm -hmm. so I might be at the front and I might have to turn around and reach my hand out and the person might not be there to take my hand. Mm -hmm. So I can either go forward or I might actually have to take a step back to mm -hmm. grab them. But it's like are we willing to take a step back so other people can take a step forward? Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people are, but I wish that more people were. Because I might mm -hmm. take a step back or I might take five steps back to go behind and, like, grab someone's hand or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But then eventually you hopefully will be ten steps forward. But it might take more time. We'll get there. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, definitely. We're getting there. Like, well, you know what I mean? So, um, no, again, I think what you're, what you're doing and just being open and aware of everything and um, is really great. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So I kind of want to know, what advice would you give to someone that is looking to be in the wellness field? So advice as in, what are some key things they should think about before really pursuing it for themselves? Because it's a very, it's a big responsibility being in the wellness field. Like you're responsible it's almost for another person's, I don't know if I'm using the right term, feelings or just um, responsible f to how they may be healed in a, in a sense. So it's great to have an idea like, I want to be wellness, but what kind of key points would you give to someone? Okay, these are the things you should think about before getting into wellness to make sure you're getting into it, into it for the right reasons. I think the first, like, I think any career that you want to be in is like you have to be in that work. So you have to like be in the wellness work. So for me to, like I teach and I talk a lot about slowing down and also touch, but if I'm not taking time to slow down and also to explore my relationship to touch, I mm -hmm. would have no idea how to speak to it. So really getting clear of like, what, why do you want to be in the wellness community? Is it because it's trendy and it's a buzzword to be a healer and a coach? Or is it because there's like a deeper purpose that you really feel? The second would definitely be find what your voice is and then use that. So the world doesn't need like 20 more Ashleys. God forbid that would be a nightmare. But like they don't need 20 people pretending to be me or taking and regurgitating my words and then creating them to be their own. We need more people who figure out like what their voice is and where their power is and then speak from that place because they'll attract the people who need to hear their message mm -hmm. I think we were talking about it earlier like stay in your lane in a way mm -hmm. so yeah like stay in wellness there's so many different things that you could focus on so mm -hmm. almost like find which one you're the most passionate about and you feel resonates the most with you and just like trust and have confidence in that mm -hmm. and then for wellness too always be curious like for yoga I'm really in a relationship right now with it where I'm asking why all the time like why is it that there's like male teachers at the at the top all the time why is it that it's really not accessible um why is it that it's seen that you have to like own all these fancy clothes or whatever to do yoga why are do we learn certain cues why is yoga perceive the way that it is in the world today and if you are curious about it and questioning it and you see something that you don't agree with or you don't understand then it's up to you to change it or try to make the change or have the conversations around it because that's the only way that it's going to shift I think. Agreed. <laughs> uh, no thank you. I definitely 100% can attest to some of what you said just in terms of just making sure whatever you do, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And it is aligned with what you want to do. Not just doing it for the sake of, hey, this is popular, so I'm going to start doing this. So the next question I want to ask you is just in terms of self-care. So how do you now, someone that's in the world of wellness and that's always pouring into other people, how do you now manage your own self-care 
and kind of reboot your system even after every session because I'm sure you're drained and it's so much of your energy that's being poured into this person or people when you do your groups as well how do you what's your self-care practice to kind of get yourself back the big thing for me right now around self-care is that self-care doesn't have to cost anything I think especially in the wellness community it's very sold as self-care face masks or retreats and then sometimes I'm like I'm such a hypocrite because my business is retreats and trainings Mm -hmm. and I do think there can be value to that but also what's like the daily things that we can do and they can change for me self-care right now is giving myself permission to feel all the range of emotions that I feel and express them especially lately it's been anger I grew up like I was never allowed to be angry you if you were angry you had to like quiet it down because you were being dramatic or crazy or whatever it was so you just got really good at being quiet and being really small and mm-hmm. being in my case like passive aggressive mm. and so for me my self-care is like noticing the emotions I feel not making myself wrong for them and then finding a way to express them that works for me so like anger sometimes I'll just put on like a very aggressive song and I'll just Mm -hmm. like scream or cry in my car or if I don't have a car like in my room Mm -hmm. Um, self-care is also saying no a lot of the times to things Mm -hmm. like no no I don't want to be there or self-care too is knowing that your self-care practice can change every day or every week and revisiting that for me sometimes something that has worked for a really long time all of a sudden one day doesn't work anymore like Sometimes fitness and working out can be a really nice form of self-care. And then sometimes you're using it to, like, punish your body. You're, like, overdoing it. Self-care, my friend Allie always says, are you honoring or are you punishing yourself? And sometimes they can be both. So sometimes Netflix for me is, like, honoring. I'll stay in and I'll just, like, watch Netflix. And then sometimes Netflix almost is punishing. Like, I'll just binge it for four or five hours because I don't want to deal with the day. And it's the same thing, honoring, punishing. Mm. Sometimes self-care is like having a drink with a friend that can be honoring. Punishing would be like two bottles of red wine. And again, like I will do both of those, but always checking myself, which is honoring, which is punishing. And knowing that your self-care can continue to change because it's for yourself. So no one can actually tell you what is good for yourself. You have to have and make time and space for that relationship so just quiet moments. Mm. Okay, thank you. No, well, I mean, red wine is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've, just, I've just admitted that I drink like two bottles of red wine and I like being spanked. So <laughs> who does it? Yeah. But, <laughs> so would you say that the things you've mentioned for, for self-care practices and even um, doing what you do, is that what keeps you aligned? I think, yeah, that keeps me aligned. I think more than anything, though, other people keep me aligned Mm. or they keep you in check. Okay. Like you find your people who remind you, they'll be like, hey, Ash, you, I noticed you're off today or, and then they're the ones who remind me almost to do self-care when I can't do it myself. Okay. Did you have a mentor before getting into wellness? Like when you were thinking about getting into wellness, did you have a mentor to kind of help guide you or was, you, was this just more so you doing doing your own research on everything? I'm very much self-taught and not because because that's just like how I work and how I function, but mm-hmm. also what I was noticing, especially when I was younger, is there wasn't many mentors out there for me. And this was before, I think now with social media, it would be a lot easier to find mentors. Mm-hmm. But pre-Instagram days, pre-even Facebook wasn't that popular when I was in my 20s. You only saw what you saw. You only knew what you knew, which mm. for me was like your parents, your close family, your teachers, if you were lucky enough to go to university, the people you met at university. But it was still like a limited amount of mentors or like role models. And so I feel like I just slowly started to go at it my own, combining aspects of a bunch of different people into one. Okay. So I would have like aspects from, I remember like one yoga teacher that I really liked that about her. And so I would kind of find that as a mentor but then something else about like a business owner doing something completely different but I would almost combine the 
the mentorship and a bunch of people into one. Mm. I've never really had one solid mentor because okay. I've never found someone who's doing touch, yoga, conversations in like another human. But I've definitely found mentors in business, how to be a woman in business, how to be someone in wellness, how to have like touchy, lack of a, more like a pun conversation. So different mentors. Okay. Not just one. Okay, because I think just the way that you go about your teachings is so unique. I've never seen it because being with you earlier today, just the way that you, you do your touch and the way at the end of the session, how you have that, like you just mentioned conversation. Was that something that you kind of not made up, but you're like, I want to incorporate this. And this may not be um, a traditional practice, but I, I like this aspect of it. Was that something taught or you're just like you took it upon yourself to add that to the end of your sessions, having that conversation? No. The, so the check-in question was started by my friend and now like business partner, Ali Maz, and she owned a studio in Vancouver called The District. It's no longer open. And her and Gian Publico, who also owned it, did check-in questions at the beginning of every class and it was a way to foster community and connection Mm. so say your name and then answer this question and it would either be super deep or it would be like what's your favorite you know like will smith movie oh that's really cool and it allowed you at the beginning of every single workout class or yoga class to slowly get to know the people who are showing up who are in your community Mm -hmm. and through that that studio was open for five years I met some of my best friends. That's where philosophy was started. That's where I became business partners with Ali for like another yoga thing that we do together. Mm-hmm. But it was all really based in conversation and okay. connection and community, which I think a lot of people, especially in wellness, mm-hmm. I do think that's what people are seeking. They want to feel connected. Like you could work out at home. You could work out at like Gold's, I don't know what they're called in Toronto, Gold's Gym or whatever planet fitness Mm -hmm. but a lot of people will choose in the wellness industry to show up to a yoga class to show up to an organized like fitness class and I think it's because they're seeking those people they're Mm -hmm. seeking that connection but if you don't foster that or give them space you just show up and then you leave you Mm. show up and then you leave and so my goal is like I want you to show up and then I want you to feel like you've been seen in that hour time And I want you to feel like you've been supported. And if you get some stretches in there, amazing. But if you don't, I just want you to, yeah, just felt like you've been seen. And for me, it's mostly through conversation. The yoga is just like a secondary thing. Oh, and and you just touched on something. I'm so sorry I didn't ask you, which is so silly of me, how the name even Philosophy Yoga came about. And um, you just mentioned you had a partner as well when you first started. No, so I have... I'm like, I do philosophy, which is myself, and then I have people who work with me with philosophy. Mm-hmm. And then I have, I lead like yoga teacher training. So for okay. people who want to become a teacher, I lead that with another person named Ali Mass. Oh, sorry. Okay. That's where so Ali came two, in. That's where Ali came in. Yeah. Okay. So for philosophy, so how, where did that name come from? Because that's, even the way you spell it, it's very interesting. It's with an F. It's like feel yeah, and feel. philosophy. Yeah. So feels, we're very into like feelings, whether that's touch or again, the, the conversation pieces to get people okay with expressing their feelings. Mm-hmm. The name just came from me playing around with the idea of all the feels and saying to my friend Jeanne, this is what I'm thinking of. And he went to the bathroom and he came out. He's like, philosophy, <laughs> philosophy. And I remember being like, I guess so. And that night went home, made a website put on one workshop it sold out and then the next week I said I'm just gonna try it for a year like try this for a year and if Mm -hmm. it works it works and if it doesn't it doesn't and it's been almost two and a half three years that's amazing so as an entrepreneur there's obviously many things that goes with that how did you find the business aspect of being an entrepreneur when you first started with your business um in wellness It's the loneliest thing being an entrepreneur or solopreneur, as they call it, when Mm -hmm. you're the only one doing it, because you have to motivate yourself. You have to you're the only one at that point who is making the decisions. You're the driving force behind getting yourself contracts and clients. And so some days it can just be very lonely. And I don't think people ever talked about that. Mm -hmm. 
And so I made a point of like trying to find other entrepreneurs and working together. I think that's why now the mm. co-working space idea has taken off so much and is so successful because we need other humans. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not in my industry, I still want to be able to talk to you because mm-hmm. I'll be able to get knowledge from you. Um, the business aspect kind of came second nature. My mom growing up owned two businesses. So I feel like it's just like in my blood to okay. want to work for myself. What I still have no idea how to do are my taxes, ever. No one teaches you this. More people need to teach this in high school. University would have been cool. Like, um, It's like the little things you learn along the way. 100%. Yeah, it is. It's a a learning process every day. But you love it? I love it today. (laughs) No, I love it all the time. Yeah. So what does being a creative entrepreneur, what does that mean to you? Create the first thing that came to my mind was like freedom. Mm. Like, I always associate when I look at people who I are like, you're so creative, to me, it's like you're so free because you have the freedom to express yourself how you want to in this moment. Mm -hmm. So, to me, that's like a creative entrepreneur is like, do I feel I have like the freedom and the space to express my ideas? in the outlet that I feel I want to today. Mm -hmm. So that's like creative. Okay. And flexible, like you're willing to move and change. What philosophy is today is so different than what it was two and a half years ago, but like the core value is still the same, Mm -hmm. but I've had the the freedom to change and evolve how I deliver my message. Mm-hmm. And I think it will continue to evolve to like, I think eventually I'll just drop yoga altogether. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> I want to go back really quickly, just mm-hmm. in terms of the business side of things. Yeah. What tips can you give for someone that wants to, again, get, because you gave tips on what to think about before getting into wellness and why the reasons why you want to do it. But on the business side of things, what tips that you've learned um, can you give to someone else wanting to start a wellness business, specifically in if it's the touch touch or even with yoga? Because, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of logistics when it comes to starting your own business in this field. So what does that kind of look like? It takes time. I think we live in an instant gratification, instant validation culture where we see people on social media doing the thing we want to do. But if you just if you just started following me today and you saw what I'm up to, you'd be like, oh, wow, she's gotten to this point. But you've never you didn't know me eight years ago Mm -hmm. when I was struggling because I don't share that as often. Um, So the thing is, like, it takes time for anything to build, for anything great to come to fruition. It takes time. Mm -hmm. But don't be afraid to, like, try different things. I call it the throwing pasta on the wall. Like, Mm -hmm. I just keep throwing things, and one day something will stick. And when it sticks, I run with it. And then when it starts to, like, get old and start to fall away from the wall, I start throwing other ideas. So for people, I think, wanting to start a business – Um, be patient with yourself and keep just keep trying keep putting yourself out there keep showing up keep showing up I think you don't need to quit your job right away if you have a passion I think you can find a balance of doing both if because I think what's not talked about is it's a privilege it's a huge privilege to be able to just quit a job and then start your passion side business like you would have to have someone financially supporting you a lot of people have to like pay rent pay off student debt and so for many years like for six years I taught yoga on the side and still had a retail job at one point I had a retail job and an office job and I was teaching yoga on the side because like again it took time Hmm. it took me eight years to be able to just now like stand at my own two feet being like this is what I do for a living Mm -hmm. but no one sees that sometimes I think yeah we don't always share that yeah we don't share it yeah so thank you for that's very honest (laughs) yeah (laughs) so Ashley could talk to you literally all day but you have a class to teach teach, yeah (laughs) so thank you so much for coming um I've learned a lot more about you it's been it's been a pleasure speaking with you the last thing I'm going to leave with you with is I want to ask you what is the one thing you can't leave the house without minus your cell phone oh 
It's like a fun little thing I ask I like, everybody. I guess my keys, but that's so boring. Um, I'm a pack rat, actually. I, I'm looking. It's so not interesting. Water, like a water bottle. That's such a wellness thing. That's so annoying. I mean, it aligns well. Yeah, I wish it's I was okay. like cigarettes. But that's only for the weekends, you know, oh so it's fine. It's not every day. So funny. Oh, thank you, Ashley, so much. Where can we find you on social media? You can find me personally at A-S-H-E-R, like Asher Noel, N-O-E-L-L-E. Or you can find philosophy at feel, F-E-E-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y-Y-O-G-A. So philosophy, yoga. Those are my Instagrams. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. Um, It's been so great talking with you. And guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you learned so much from Ashley. She's such a dope person. Um, And I cannot wait to hear the comments um, for this podcast. (laughs) So thank you guys again. And bye. Bye. Hey, guys, don't forget to share, rate, like, and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, CastBox, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for tuning in. Thank you.